Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello, welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast brought to you in association with Cricket 365. It's James taking you through this week where I'm joined by Charles Dagnall, the BBC TMS commentator. He's taking on the Cricket Badger 20 questions about his career in the game. I think you'll find it's a thoroughly enjoyable listen. Remember, you can join myself, Ollie and Akash on the Cricket Badger World Cup Weekly as we go through the tournament. And just a little bit of a word, I went to sleep last night feeling a little bit angry towards Johnny Bairstow for what he said, if you missed it, saying that England, the culture is, we're waiting for them to lose, we're waiting for them to be defeated. That's what makes English people happy across all sports. Also said that he's disappointed with the pitches, they're not the ones they've been playing on for the last two years in this country. Firstly, ICC in charge of the pitch preparation. And if you go back to the last two Champions Trophies played in this country, pitches are very similar So it shouldn't be a surprise to Team England. And his comments, I'm hoping, it's his way of motivating himself. Because Johnny Bairstow is one of those guys, when he thinks the world's against him, that's when he grits his teeth and comes out and plays his best cricket. But, as you hear at the start of my chat with Daggers, there's certainly two members of the media willing England to win. If you read Michael Vaughan's social media and listen to him on TMS, you can certainly tell that he wants England to win as well. It's good for everybody concerned if England win this World Cup. If it makes the game stronger, then winning the World Cup is a very good thing indeed, all round. And from a personal point of view, if Owen Morgan lifts that trophy mid-July, there will be one very happy badger indeed. But anyway, enough of me talking about the World Cup. Let's get across to Charles Dagnall. He's taking on the Cricket Badger 20 questions this week. Some thoroughly good answers. Cricket Badger podcast fact file. Charles Edward Dagnall. Warwickshire and Leicestershire. Right arm pace bowler. Best first class bowling 6 for 50. Commentator for BBC Test Match Special, Sky Sports and Channel 5. BBC NFL presenter and a wannabe quarterback. Welcome to the podcast, Daggers. Let's have a badger chat. How are you, sir? Way very good, thank you. Looking forward to the rest of the World Cup tournament and still tons of cricket ahead in the summer. So, yeah, on good form, thank you. Are you keeping that voice of yours uh, nice and safe? A lot of words are coming out of your mouth at the moment, put it that way. Yeah, let's hope they're coherent, although they're, they're coherent, even though I can't say that particular word right now. Um, <laughs> when the microphone is on for Test Match Special or for Sky or whatever, then hopefully it's all fairly lucid and it makes kind of sense. But yeah, it's great fun at the moment. I'm looking forward hugely to, to the rest of the summer and we've played so much cricket so far. I wonder if we've got any 
words left. Come September, I might just be silent for a month, which I'm sure would please many, many people. Still got plenty to go and plenty to talk about. Your colleague, Dan Norcross, he's a very regular appearance in the Cricket Badger podcast. It's your debut on here today. I'm going to ask you the Cricket Badger 20 questions. Just before I start, though, with question number one, you're wrong with me with the World Cup going on, getting to a pivotal stage at the moment. Who's yeah. going to win it? Oh, man. Goodness gracious. That's a, that's a tough one. Who's going to win it? If I was to pick 10p on, it'd be hard to not stick it on India. Just for the fact that their bowling attack is very strong. think that it's their time as well. I mean, a lot of people talk about England's time, and yes, they've, they've struggled. I still think they're going to qualify. When it gets to the knockout stages, it really is anyone's game, just due to conditions or the pitches that are prepared, etc. So, still a long way to go. I'm loath to stick my neck on the block, but if I was to, you know, be forced with a gun to my head to put 10p on the side, I'd probably put it on India. I tipped England at the start of this with head and heart. Getting a little bit nervous about it, but I still think they can come through, as you said. I still think they'll make the semi-finals, and then after that, who knows, you know, it, it could be theirs, and it, it's a test of them, isn't it? We know they're a fantastic side, number one in the world for a reason, all yeah. those kind of cliches that we've been trotting out over the last few weeks, but this is a test of whether they are champions, isn't it? And Yeah, absolutely right. You know, they are world class. You mentioned about being number one in the world, and that has come from not just, you know, scoring massive totals in this country, that's going away to New Zealand and winning, going away to Australia and winning, going, you know, to the subcontinent and winning, and I think when you are a rounded team as they are, people just think, and the accusation that's thrown uh, thrown at them of being flat-track bullies is, I think, a trifle unfair. I think, you know, their bowling attack, you know, Adil Rashid and Moeen Ali usually dictate, usually dictate whether they win or lose a game. Now, of course, they've not had necessarily the runs to play with for them to, to but they're still bowled pretty well, the pair of them. I think they'll they'll get to grips with it sometimes. You know, it's sport change, isn't it? And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous, but to go through a pool stage of a home World Cup where there are added pressures on you as a side when you're a host as well to go through and to not lose a game would be would be a bit far-fetched I fancy now I only think that the only side or game that was a little surprising to me was the Sri Lanka game where I actually thought that they went within themselves they didn't play with the freedom of the expression that we know of them. And that doesn't mean bashing the ball to the boundary left, right, and centre. That means positivity. You know, picking up singles, keeping the scoreboard rotating, you know, turning twos into threes and, and that sort of thing. We saw a lot of dot balls, which is an unusual thing for England. They allowed Trankers bowler to dictate to them. People sort of say, oh, well, you know, we only play one way. No, they've not done that. They don't play one way. They've played with positivity. That is the way that they play. It's not necessarily about seeing the ball, the white ball going out of grounds left, right and centre. They've won more games. You know, I go back to the Australia series in Australia that they won 4-1. You know, they weren't scoring scores of 400 there. You know, they just adapted to the situation out there and in the pitches a lot, lot better than Australia did. The, the Pakistan loss, yes, that's a, a frustrating one considering that they actually battered them in the bilateral series prior to the start of the, the World Cup. But things like that happen. The bigger worry for me was that they just went within themselves in that Sri Lanka game, which was an unusual thing for them. Yeah, I, I could see why they lost to Pakistan. Obviously, Australia are a good side as well, but I don't rate that Sri Lanka side at all, and that was a, a disappointing defeat. I wrote a piece the other day, Daggers, where I invented the lurchometer and how fans can lurch from one extreme to the other. You know, you yeah. win a game everything's amazing. You lose a game and then all of a sudden everybody in that side is rubbish overnight. Yeah. And England are kind of falling into that trap at the moment. I think England fans at the moment, two defeats, very rare that England have two defeats on the bounce and all of a sudden it's doom and gloom. Oh, absolutely. And you've got to try and stay level. Let me tell you, the England team will be staying pretty level. Having dealt with Owen Morgan for a long time and Trevor Bayliss and, and those senior players around, they know where, where it's gone wrong but they've been doing it a long time. They've become number one in the world over the period of four years. You know, they started off very, very quickly post-2015 World Cup in that series against New Zealand here in England. They were trying things out. They were playing a new way and, and a more expressive way. And we thought, wow, this is fantastic. And then suddenly you lose a game here and there and, oh, well, this is absolutely terrible. They can't do that. Look, just everybody chill out a little bit. They might not qualify for the semi-finals. Now, yes, it will be a disappointment, but that's sport. 
You know, there are other good teams around, and it's not their divine right to go and get qualified for the semifinals. You've got to work hard, and they do work hard. Sometimes things don't go your way. Sometimes you don't actually apply what you know in certain games. Did they bowl too short against Australia in those first 10 overs? Yeah, they did. And I think they'd be lying to themselves if they didn't think that. Now, I know a lot of what is said in public, it will be different to what is said in private. And they've got to say those things. I think certainly in the situation that they find themselves, Owen Morgan, you know, you don't want to slag off your bowlers mid-tournament and then to feel bad about themselves or that they, it's their fault that a game was lost or, or anything like that. And there was lots of different factors that make up a de- any kind of defeat. But I think they know that those certain situations, they didn't do it right. But you've got to hope that they do it right. And we could be in two or three weeks sitting here sort of talking about the wonder of England cricket and the left side of the world. That is just the nature of the game. Fingers crossed that last part comes true. The Cricket Badger podcast is brought to you in association with Cricket365.com. Their ethos, we love cricket and want to make the world love it as much as we do. Join them at Cricket365.com. Thank you very much to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Let's get into these 20 questions. Charles Dagnall, let's start with question number one. If not a cricketer, what would you have done with your life? What I would have wanted to do in my life would have been probably try, well, two things. I would have wanted to try and play in American football, but I would have failed miserably. And I would have wanted to have been a musician like the rest of my family. I'm currently learning the bass. You know, I'm, I love it. I'm absolutely loving it. I adore playing. It's a real good release from work. I, I, music's been around my life, well, all of my life, with my brothers and sisters uh, being heavily into it and, and, and very good musicians themselves. So I would like to have been a musician. At the moment, I, you know, the, the standard I am now, I don't think I would have been a very successful musician. But, yeah, that would have been a path that I would have liked to have gone down. You know, I would have probably gone and worked in accounts or something for some company. But I like to think that, um, which is not a bad thing. If you work in accounts, by the way, and you're listening to this, uh, that is a a completely noble profession. Uh, But luckily, it sort of panned out the way it has so far. Becoming a bit of a feature on the uh, Cricket Badger podcast. So Craig White a few weeks ago, Mark Butcher a couple of weeks ago. Butcher is proper. He is he is better than most professional musicians. Is Mark Butcher? Um, I am absolute cack at this moment in time. But I'm learning. I'm getting better. And there's only one way for me, and that's up. Going back to the early days, question number two, who was the biggest influence on your career? Oh, I had quite a few. I mean, obviously, most people, your parents, you know, the upbringing that you have, time that they took out to, you know, take you to all of cricket practice and winter nets and that sort of thing. So that that's one aspect of them. A gentleman called Paul Killy. Now, he was a professional in the Bolton Leagues, and he was our pro at British Aerospace Cricket Club uh, in, uh, in Lostock in Bolton. And he had a profound influence on me, took me under his wing, huge, enormous man, six foot eight, both in height and in width, and just the dead set funniest bloke I've ever met in my life. And he would always protect me, but he'd also be sort of, my role would be team punch bag, you know, 13, 14 years old, not punch bag literally, but metaphorically, you know, sort of verbally. And he then sort of became my coach, if you like, and uh, transformed me as as a batsman actually at that age I was I was a genuine all-rounder but it was more the uh, attitude towards cricket and the dynamic of of being in a side with lots of blokes as a youngster you know the sort of I hate to use the word but yeah the banter the 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 bloke way of of being in, in that sort of environment I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for someone like Paul Killy, just a wonderful bloke, a brilliant family actually. You know, Freddie and his missus was just as funny as he was, and a, a huge influence on me. The other one was when I was say was when I turned pro in the county game, and there are many. It's unfair to sort of single out just two or three, but Philip De Freitas is the one that that really stands out when I joined Leicestershire. I still had a few doubts on whether I was good enough at that level. Um, even though you know you're taking wickets and you're part of the first team and all of that sort of stuff, it was him who sort of basically sat me down and said, look, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a good cricketer? Do you want to achieve at this level? And it was his influence that actually made me believe that I was good enough to to play at the county level. And I doubt very much whether higher honours would have ever come my way. 
they, in fact, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced they wouldn't. But it was his influence that made me feel like I, I, I then got what it was about. I got what Cancer Crew was about. And had I not retired at 28, then to think it could have gone on for another four, five, six years and been a, and been a decent county cricketer, really. And, and it was Daffy who uh, sort of instilled that in me and, uh, and gave, not me, the tools well, yeah, he sort of gave me the tools, but also the belief that, that I actually was good enough to be at that level. Everybody needs one of those, don't they? I've seen some very, very good players have self-doubt and, and wonder whether they're quite going to make it or not. Everybody needs somebody to go in their ear and just say, you can do this. Yeah. I mean, he's the godfather to my daughter, is, is Daffy, and, and we got on anyway. But there was that nature of our friendship, which, you know, and this is what separates, you know, good players from, from great players. And, and Daffy was a great player, in my opinion, in that... He saw something and wasn't afraid to not jeopardize our friendship, but to tell me straight. You know, he sees something in you, thinks that you can achieve more and isn't afraid to tell you. And that's what he did for me. What's been your best moment in cricket? Uh, Numerous, really. When I signed my first contract, that was, you know, after trying 13 different counties who told me I wasn't good enough. Uh, you know, Warwickshire taking a punt on me. That was a great day. Winning the 2020 with Leicestershire. Just missed out on Man of the Match honours in the final with my one for 36 off four. So, um, uh, I, I, you know, obviously hugely. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I think a televised game that I played against Knotts where I picked up four for, including KP first ball. That was nice. But just uh, being beat, the, the people that you played with and the, and the cricketers that you met is is a huge highlight. You know, opening the bowling with Alan Donald, Javagel Srinath and bowling against Justin Langer and, and people like that. You know, it was fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. So there was a standout moment. It was probably the week that week where I got four for against Nottinghamshire and I got three for in a one day game against Sussex and it was just that moment where I felt actually invincible. No one can play me at the moment. I'm, I'm doing all sorts with the ball. I'm in full control and, and everything's good. And, and that was, you know, that was actually a week that stuck out to me, you know, that no one could get me away. It was four for 22 and three for 20 odd or something like in 10 overs. And, you know, but lots of great memories. In cricket, you even play minor counties cricket with Cumberland League cricket back up north, and and then on to commentary. You know moments in commentary which really do stand out. Uh, you know the yeah, the Champions Trophy final of 2017 is a, is a career highlight for me, and, and in a slightly different way. You know when you get things right. You know when you hit that moment when you nail it perfectly um, is is just like taking a five for or scoring a hundred. You know the, the moment I called Virat Kohli's dismissal. You know, I thought, yeah, you know, I listened back to it and went, yeah, you did all right there. That, <laughs> not often do you do that, but yeah, I thought, I thought, you know, I got that one really, really right. So, so lots of great memories and, and hopefully many more to come still. What I like about working in cricket daggers and, and talking to the likes of you and the guests that I get on the podcast is that everybody can relate to that. Everybody that's ever picked up a bat or a ball has those days where you just think, oh, this is working today. I, I can actually yeah. do this. And yeah. everybody has those, ba- those bad days as well where you think, oh, I'm you know, going to throw it all in the bin. It's, it's a game with, whether you're playing at school or club cricket at a low level or you get to the very highest echelons of it. The same principles apply, don't they? Yeah, absolutely right. I remember when I scored my first century, I was, I was playing for Lanks under nine teams actually and it took a while for me to get you know i've got you know very glamorous 50s and 80s in league cricket and 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 the like but once i've I've got that first century for lengths under 19s i've finally done it and then actually in that sort of once i'd done that i'd I'd, I'd hit sort of like four or five more that season and these little moments i remember the shot i I hit six into the sea playing in the isle of man in in castletown for lengths under 19 and and i remember just hitting an enormous six into the sea and and, and that was the moment i got my hundred and yeah, I, I can still picture it now. I, I still remember the shot. I remember the delivery and, and even the reaction coming off. And my dad was on the sideline there and, and he was dressed up in blazer and tie and all of that sort of stuff as my dad used to. And just sort of giving him a massive squeeze, sort of like, yeah, I've done it. Finally got that three figures next to your name. And once that sort of monkey is off the back, it, it, it sort of explodes from there on in. I totally get that as well. Uh, there's one moment I can remember where I... Playing school cricket is the only hook shot I think I ever played, and I hooked it for six. And I can still, I can still remember that very, very clearly indeed. So uh, I'd imagine everybody listening to this has got a moment they can remember crystal clearly oh, as if it was yesterday. Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. 
Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. What's been your worst moment in cricket? Ooh, I have to say that there are few. Uh, retirement, uh, when I knew that I, I couldn't do it anymore with my, my shin problems, which lasted two years. I hated taking money for not doing anything. And I was in the 2005 season. I was playing for Leicestershire and H.G. Ackerman was the captain. And I was basically a go-to guy in, in one-day cricket. And I suffered horrible shin splints in pre-season. And so my week sort of went like this. On a Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I could barely walk. Thursday, I would start popping pills like they were going out of fashion, like painkillers. Then I would get taped up on a Friday. I would bowl maybe six or seven deliveries on the Saturday and then play on Sunday. Bowl my 10 over straight through and I bowled well. It was coming out brilliantly, but it was absolute agony. And I did that for about six or seven weeks. And I just went, you know what, I just can't, I can't do this. I've got to get this fixed. And then I did actually have the, my shin operation on my birthday, it was in 2005. And it took 18 months to get them right. And by that time, the time had gone. And I knew the Christmas of 2005 that my career was done, pretty much. And um, there was too much to do to try and get back for the next season. I had contract offers on the table, weirdly, from Leicestershire and a one-day contract from Sussex, I understand. And, and, you know, I just had to turn around and say, I can't take your money. I can't sign because I'm not fit. That was disappointing. Um, but weirdly, you know, I was started working on the radio but for a long time before then. So I had something to go into and I had that connection with cricket still so you know it was disappointing but the disappointment didn't necessarily last too long I you know I don't this is the weird thing I don't remember necessarily the bad times friends that you lose and, and old friends that passed away are, are, are sad but I think of them in in, in happier times I think about their, their deaths but rather than you know the good times that we, we spent together I suppose it's, it's your outlooks but nothing really stands out from, from disappointment in cricket I, I really have loved it and I'm very lucky to have, have, have been in the positions to, to enjoy all of, all of the you know, last 20, 30 years in it. You say you'd already picked up a microphone. You'd, so as a player, you'd, you'd presume you'd got up to the, the BBC box and had a little bit of a whiz at you and you'd got involved and, and enjoyed it. Slightly different to how it is now back then. There was a, a wonderful man who used to uh, commentate for BBC Radio Leicester. He was a reporter, really. Uh, he was actually an editor, a, 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 you know, a sound editor when it was all reel-to-reel tapes and stuff and he cared passionately about radio and he would come along in the cricket season uh, a village cricketer his name was John Shaw and, and became a very good friend of mine and he uh, and I sort of said look you know, I'd done a bit on the radio, as in as guest on a cricket show here and there and in the winter times and that sort of stuff. And I said, look, I'd like to do this. I'd like to do it proper. Well, I remember we were playing in Southend against Essex and it chucked it down. And I remember him and I sitting in my Vauxhall Vectra and going through script, reading script, the way of using voices and trait. And he was training me. And he trained me in everything. I used to shadow him on six o'clock in the morning sports shifts on local radio, uh, go in, learn how to edit, learn how to write scripts, how to read them, how to gather material, how to edit material. And he wouldn't let me on the air until he thought I was ready. They don't do that now. Uh, you know, basically, there's very little training given them to just go on air. And, and I think that's a bit sad, really. It, it is that, 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 that sort of training that he gave me, which I look back on, and he died. Uh, I mean, God, I was absolutely devastated when he, when he passed away because he's always the voice in my head. 
and after every stint on TMS, and he was ever so proud that I'd, I'd joined the TMS crew because he was a, an avid listener. Uh, and after every stint, he would say, he would text me, this was good, that was poor, that could have been better, you know, and that was that was wonderful. But he's always the voice in my head when broadcasting. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's how it happened for me. And then I actually sort of started doing sports shift whilst I was playing. So reading bulletins and, and that sort of thing in the winter times. And, and then when I retired, I actually got the Saturday morning program, 9 till 12, being a D-jock, and then doing drive time on Radio Leicester and during the summertime it's then when I actually went into the commentary box to, uh, and did ball by ball sort of stuff so so yeah that was the kind of my introduction into radio When did you get the call to say oh do you fancy a bit of TMS action? My first international was 2012 and that was the West Indies England but I'd done network radio the two years before that for domestic cricket so I'd done Five Live Sports Extra games on T20 in 2010 so then sort of made the step up they sort of thought I was ready you know to do it in 2012 so that was that they were the sort of dates that uh, that I remember and, and TMS is the bastion isn't it it's the it's the one thing that we've all listened to since we were kids getting into cricket in my view and I remember talking to Dan Norcross on on the podcast and he talked about the first time he sat down next to Jeffrey Boycott which was like a big moment for him have, have you mm. got a moment like that when you first sat in the box and thought flipping heck I'm on TMS here I still do it and the reason behind it is because it is an exclusive club that you've joined. And I say this with all seriousness. You know, 600 and odd people have played for England. You know, probably 30 have commentated on, on cricket, maybe 30, maybe 40, I don't know. But not many have, have done ball-by-ball ball commentary on Test Match Specials. So it's a pretty exclusive club that you've joined. And you don't want to let the voices that have gone before you down. There is a huge amount of pressure. Every time you go on, on TMS, the, the ghosts of voices past are always sort of sitting above you. And, and you know, Christopher Martin Jenkins and Brian Johnston and, and Don Mosey and Henry Blofeld and, and John Arler and Jonathan Agnew and even though obviously he is still very much with us as his blowers but you see my point Tony Cozier and Richie Benner these guys who were poets and made the, made the action come alive and the engaging nature of their commentary and you're never good enough in my opinion you are never ever good enough you can try and become one of those voices but you will never do it because they are ingrained in the history of test match special and i think that's a nice thing to think you know you always strive to want to to sort of think that you know cmj would say that's okay that's good i enjoyed that that was that's what you know, you think in your head. It is always with you. I think my first commentary is the one that stands out for me. And I was joining a team. I mean, it's incredible to think back. But that first commentary was with the two other ball-by-ball -ball commentators were Jonathan Agnew and Tony Cozier. So no, pro no, no pressure. Um, <laughs> You know, when you've got, you know, just wonderful, wonderful voices who are so ingrained with listeners. And then you come along, some, you know, Muppet from Bolton who's getting an opportunity to do TMS. And I, I, the summarizers were Phil Tufnell and Michael Vaughan and Viv Richards. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I knew yeah. Phil and Michael reasonably well anyway, because I'd sort of played against them a little bit. But, you know, Viv, come on. You know, I'm in, I'm in the same box talking cricket with, with arguably the best player of all time. So it is a little daunting. But you do it and you get through it. And what you find is that they're lovely and, you know, very, very professional and welcoming. Uh, and I still find that today, you know, when I joined the Sky Sports team, you know, goodness, they were all just magnificent. And, you know, they listen. When they're on the road, of course, and they'll listen to, to TMS here and there when they can. And, and it's that acceptance, I think, the acceptance of your contemporaries and your peers within that commentary box. And I think that, you know, if you get that, then you're doing okay. I listen a lot to it. And uh, I was listening to you yesterday while you were doing the World Cup commentary on the game yesterday. And I think it, it is that thing that it is a small select club and you know the voices so well. And listeners feel like they're part of it, don't they? That's, that's the thing. Yeah. And I, you know, what, what you said about this. The numbers that have done it, you know, it, it is a small select group, and you could, you know, the England players have their cap numbers on. You could have microphone numbers on your. A new feature on the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast is the letters page. Very much in inverted commas, because what we want you to do is to record your comments on to your telephone 
Send us the audio to cricketbadger at hotmail.com and we'll play it out as part of that letter page function. Maybe even react to what you say, whether it's an opinion on cricket, international or domestic. Maybe you've got some selection suggestions for the England team or for your county. Maybe you just want to have a bit of a rant. Make it anything up to a minute long. Send it in to cricketbadger at hotmail.com and you might find yourself on next week's Cricket Badger Radio Show Podcast. In recent weeks on the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast, we've had David Gower, we've had Joe Root, we've had Daniel Norcross, Gordon Greenwich, Desmond Haynes, Joel Garner, Ronnie Arani, Chetiswa Pajara, James Foster, Daniel Baldrumman, Sam Hain, Brett D'Oliveira, Keaton Jennings, Delray Rawlings, Richard Gleeson, Anthony McGrath, Paul Collingwood. We're building up quite a few test caps and there are many, many more to come. Thank you so much. For all your comments on the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast, it is much appreciated as it goes from strength to strength. You can find the podcast every single week on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Deezer, Radio Public. We're growing. Grow with us. Have your say on all things cricket. Contact us on Twitter at cricket underscore badger. By email, cricketbadger at hotmail.com. Comment on things mentioned in shows. Suggest future topics for future programmes and get involved as the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast continues to go from strength to strength. Who was your cricket hero when you were young? Who was on the Dagnall wall, the poster boy? Michael Holding and David Gower because they made cricket look artistic and elegant and beautiful and that, that is the simple answer to that question. They were the two that I get amazed. I want to be wowed and, and they still do it. They always do it. You know, things that I couldn't do and, and you know, I watched Jimmy Anderson now and he is just an artist uh you know i was a very 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 poor man james anderson you know being able to swing it both ways but probably 15 mile an hour slower you know i i get wowed by them but when i was a kid it was michael holding and it was david gower i just wanted to watch them day in day out i could watch holding run in he didn't have to necessarily bowl i could just watch him run you know graceful and poetic and you know just death-defyingly dangerous and uh, yeah i just still gives me hairs on the on the old back of the neck standing up thinking about him roll, running into bowl and david gower playing an extra cover drive so uh so yeah they were my two you mentioned jimmy there i, I, I sometimes think about players you know we're seeing the end of chris gale probably in the not too distant future and you know these greats come through our our minds and and we watch them play and jimmy anderson's one of those he's a an all-time great of english cricket and uh, i think uh yeah, we need we need to value him while he's here. I hope he never stops. I hope he's playing when he's forty-five. If you could trade lives with a current cricketer for a day, who would you choose? If you could live in the skin of somebody, experience their skills and their life. Well, I, I'd probably start with Jimmy because he's an alarmingly good-looking lad as well. I don't think I've seen many better-looking people in real life, so I'd like that. That'd be good. From a cricket point of view, I always fancied, I have to say, you know, even bowling at my pace, it was kind of hard work, so I wouldn't mind trading with a spinner. I wouldn't want to trade with a batsman because then you're in the field and you're, you're standing around all day while bowlers bowl, so I'd want to be involved in the game. So I'd probably want to trade with a spinner and the spinner i would choose oh this is a good one who would be the spinner i choose i would probably go with i'd want to be a left arm spinner i reckon i wouldn't want to be a leggy probably i'd probably trade with the cat you know because i remember facing him and he had it on a string he was a wonderful bowler it was phil Tufnell. i loved obviously his, his outlook and his, his personality I would want to be a spinner, I'd want to be involved in the game, and I wouldn't want to work too hard. So, yeah, I'd, I'd probably trade with him. <laughs> not a bad choice, that. Not a bad choice. I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for the day. You can basically make any Dagnall law you want to. Any bugbears? Yeah. Uh, right. I would make tea 30 minutes and take 10 minutes off lunch. 20 minutes is just not long enough. I can tell you from experience, you're off the field uh, after a, an afternoon session of great length and you're off the field for 20 minutes and you're back on again. And, oh, no, no, I'd make tea half an hour and I'd make lunch half an hour. So that's my first rule change. I'd ask everyone to get on with the game. The amount of stoppages in our game now is killing it. It's horrid. Make draconian run penalties for teams that don't get their overs in. You know, 2020 is four hours now. Come on. You know, I know it's more for adverts and stuff like that, but just get on with the game. That is the thing that I would do. So, yeah, 
massive run penalties for overs not being bowled in time. Otherwise, I think I think we've got it pretty good. I changed the white balls oh. back to the old Dukes. Uh, right, okay. Then then they swing. They say rock stars want to be sportsmen. Sportsmen want to be rock stars. If you could have been famous doing something totally differently, I guess we kind of got that answer a little bit at the start, didn't we? Would it be a rock star? Yeah, totally. Uh, or an American footballer. Uh, I would probably want to be, I would, yeah, I'd want to be a quarterback. I'd want to do that. And I'd want to be someone like Joe Montana, who was just coolness personified, you know, just grace under pressure. But as a rock star, I'd want to be wild and ridiculous, like a member of Motley Crue or something like that. <laughs> so, so yeah, Nikki Six, the bass, bass player from Motley Crue, or uh, conversely, I wouldn't want to be somewhere, you know, I wouldn't want to be the bass player for Crowded House. That would just, that'd kill me. I'd either want to be ACDC or or Van Halen's bass player, or I would want to be some great jazzer, like Jaco Pastorius, or or a funkmeister like Larry Graham. That would be, that would, I'd be opposite ends of the scale. I wouldn't want to be some mundane, middle-of-the-road bass player. I'd want to be either a jazzer, uh, or a funkmeister or a proper nuts rocker. That's what I would do. I, I, I read your Wikipedia page before I... I Don't read it. It's all, it's all rubbish. It said that you tried to play American football. I did, but it said I tried to play professionally. That's sort of garbage. Um, right. I did. I played for the Leicester Falcons and I was a quarterback for them. But then I had to return to playing cricket. And uh, so that was basically the reason why I stopped doing it. If you could meet anybody living or dead, who would you like to have around for dinner or go for a pint with? Oh, good question. That's a really good question. Um, I'll probably think of 20 better answers later on this evening. I would say musicians. I would say someone like James Brown. I'd like to have met him. I would like to meet Patrick Stewart. So I'd like to... I suppose this is like ultimate dinner party thing. Uh, Salma Hayek, that's for obvious reasons. I, I, she was my crush as a kid or, or, or as a young man. There's so many people, so many interesting people that I'd love to meet. And inspirational ones as well, you know. I'm, I'm lucky to know Matt Hampson very well. And, you know, God, what, a, what an amazing man. I mean, truly amazing man after suffering, you know, being paralyzed from the neck down after a rugby injury. The the, the inspiration that he has given to so many people who have, have suffered similar types of things. And, and he's there just sort of saying, well, don't worry about me. What about these guys? You know, this, this guy is an amazing man. And so, yeah, I suppose there's, there's, I'm lucky to have met people like that. I think old musicians I would like to meet Nile Rogers from Chic, you know, talk about how yeah. what it was like back in the day in the Studio 54 and all that sort of stuff. Um, they would probably be my picks, but I'll probably think of 20 better later on this evening. Well, I'll tell you what, when that dinner party happens, I'll come and, I'll come and do the cooking and the waiting and I'll have a chat with oh, Tom Mahaya. Yeah, she's a good choice. Who would play you in Daggers the Movie? Harrison Ford. Yeah, easy. What's the last time you can remember feeling really nervous? Most live gigs, uh, and I say gigs in the sense of um, speaking gigs. You know, I am always nervous before speaking, weirdly. And even though I've done it a lot, and I go up and down the country speaking to various people, I think if you're not nervous, there's something wrong. Because you've got a live audience in front of you, you want to entertain them, uh, you want to make them laugh, and you want to, you know, you want them to, to have a, good, a really good night. You know, sometimes you feel like a bit of a comedian when, you, when you're doing it and you get that adrenaline rush of making people laugh and entertaining them. And, but I'm always nervous uh, when I do that. Uh, if I get a brand new knee, which I'm hoping for very soon, I think I'll be nervous uh, going under the knife. Uh, for that. Yeah, I get more nervous now about my daughter, my daughter doing things, uh, you know, when it was sports day, school sports day, just a week and a half ago, you know, I was getting nervous for her and that's a nice feeling and, uh, and seeing her achieve little, little things, whether it be, you know, ballet exams or, you know, learning a new song on a guitar or whatever it is. So uh, they're probably the, the most nervous I get. Are you looking for a book to buy? Following on in the footsteps of Cricketing Fathers by James Butler, rated five stars on Amazon. Ever wondered what it was like to be the son of a famous father? Would you live in his shadow or find the skill and strength to create your own limelight? Following on explores the multi-generational nature of cricket and examines the father and son relationships in sport. How does the weight of expectation advantage or pressure to succeed influence a young cricketer's progress as they follow in the footsteps of a successful father do cricketing sons have a head start in their genes is there a gene for elite cricket performance following on is based on exclusive interviews with liam botham 
Alan, Ian and Mark Butcher, Nick Compton, Chris, Graham and Fabian Cowdery, Simon Dennis, Brett D'Olivera, Alan and Mark Elam, Dale Hadley, Dean Headley, Simon Jones, Jake Lehman, David and Graham Lloyd, Martin Moxon, Arnie and Ryan Sidebottom, Alex Stewart and Tim and Chris Tremlett. The issues are developed and discussed with the words of the players themselves and also sports psychologists and experts in genomics. James Butler takes us on a journey of discovery, asking the questions and examining the responses while making comparisons with other sports and the worlds of entertainment and business. For any cricket lover, available on Amazon and in all good bookshops, published by Great Northern Books, following on in the footsteps of Cricketing Fathers. What is the top item on your bucket list? Oh, um, I'd like to drive a Formula One car and get what all the fuss is about, I think. I, I think that would be quite good fun. I don't think there should be any other cars on the road whilst I'm doing it. I have no intention to climb Everest. That doesn't interest me. I don't want to necessarily swim with dolphins. I would like to own a dolphin. I think that's not very, very feasible uh, or humane. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I think I'd like to do some, some circuits in a Formula One car. I quite like go-karting, going go-karting. That's good fun. Um, yeah. uh, me and Henry Moran do that as, as often as we possibly can. Uh, and we think we're Nigel Mansell and, and Alan Prost, you know. So I, I think I would like to do that. I would like to do some laps of Donington or, or, or Monaco or whatever, Silverstone, in a Formula One car and sort of, Get the adrenaline buzz. I love roller coasters. Roller coasters is my, is my favorite thing in the world. And I was brought up near Blackpool. And my nana lived there. And we used to be at the Pleasure Beach every other day. And I adore roller coasters. So, yeah, that, that sort of adrenaline rush would be absolutely fantastic. I'm not saying I'd be any good at it. I'd be absolutely terrible. And if I could fit in it, being six foot four. But, uh, yeah, I think, I, I, I think that would be my bucket list thing. I, I quite like roller coasters. I went on that big one at... Uh at Blackpool it broke down about 10 foot from the very top of it and we were just hanging there for about half an hour they started us back up again I I am actually the the reigning Yorkshire cricket go-kart champion because me and me and Chalky White we teamed up I was the media manager we invited the press down to come and watch the lads go-karting Darren Gofford uh, hurt his thumb and the physio at the last minute said you can't uh, I don't want you to drive so Goffey had to get out of the car I ended up teaming up with Chalky, and we, we won at uh, that event. And oh, well played. It's one of those things that brings out the uh, kind of beast in you. You grit your teeth, and you really go for it, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Although, um, I go with Henry Moran a lot, uh, producer and commentator, and, uh, and we're like two kids. I mean, we really are. You're lying, especially my age. But he's one of these really annoying people that can turn his hand to literally anything he does. And I, I think I'm going at a million miles an hour and he's lapping me every, you know, every third lap. He's getting he's, uh, up behind me again. And I try and, you know, it's just great fun. But I, I, I quite fancy doing it in a real, a real go-kart. Yourself and Henry, you're coming onto my turf, aren't you? You're going to start a podcast of your own. Uh, we were thinking of doing. Uh, watch this space. No further comments. <laughs> You're just don't get any of my questions. Are you a morning or a night person? I am a morning person. Very, very early in the morning, most mornings. What celebrity annoys you the most? Um, not many, to be honest. You see, this, it's, it's a bit like the social media thing in that, that people are more than happy to tell you what, what, what annoys them about you instead of just not following you, yeah, you know, or, or clicking the unfollow button. I never get that. So people don't... I have to be honest, it's a really mundane answer, but not many people annoy me. I ignore them if they do. So I, I don't... I'm not really up with... You know, I don't watch Love Island. If people want to go on it, you carry on. I, yeah, it's... A pretty mundane answer. I like to think I'm fairly chilled out with life, and, and not many people do annoy me. I suppose people who don't accept other people annoy me. You know, I'm very much a live and let live kind of person. And if you're not tolerant of others, and if you're, you know, shouting your mouth from the rooftops and in making someone feel, or even a, you know, a minority feel uncomfortable or oppressed by their way of life, and you tell, yeah, I'll tell you, some, for argument's sake, it's a sort of weird one. Say Israel Folau, his latest this thing about you know his beliefs are this now i'm not saying you can believe what you want and that's not my job to tell you what you can believe and what you can't believe you're an owned individual person and now i might think you're bonkers but that's your choice you can do that that's freedom of speech and all of that sort of stuff what i don't like is making people who have suffered over the over the years with whatever stigma they are um, making them feel bad about their choices in life and and it doesn't annoy me i'm just sort of like well that's not really fair 
I, I, you know, people should be whatever they want to be and, you know, love whoever they want to love and, and go about doing whatever they want to do. That's sort of my outlook on life. And I know it might seem a little lame that I'm not passionate about whatever particular cause, but I, I just want people to be tolerant of each other and, and everyone to get on and have nice lives. And that's basically it. World peace. That's what I'm looking for. I should be, I should go on Miss Universe. And, uh, and ask for <laughs> ask for world peace because that's that's what I'm looking for. But actually, yeah, that's, I just want people to get on and enjoy their lives and and do what they want to do. You'd get my vote for Miss Universe after that answer. I think one of the most bizarre winners of it. Um, if you had access to a time machine, where and when would you like to go back to? Great question. I, I, I would probably go back to '79 uh, or the the sort of disco era. I would go back to. New York and and just be part of all of that sort of the happening of the disco scene in, in 1970s. I think it, I, I love that sort of thing. I would go back also to America fascinates me. It always has. And, um, you know, sometimes you look at what's going on in America, you think, well, that's just bonkers. But, you know, it's never dull. And, and I would like to go back to the 1930s, the Prohibition times and, and the speakeasies and, uh, and, and sort of, you know, Chicago land and that sort of thing. And, and, and sort of just be a fly on the wall, really, of those, of those eras. Yeah, New York in the late 70s, that's one place I'd like to go. Well, I'd also like to go back and play the stock market. Now I know how it's going to play out. I might buy, you know, shares in Apple. From a, a non-financial point of, of view, a, a historical point of view, I think, yeah, they're the eras of history I'd like to really, because I did that at GCSE level a lot about the 20s and 30s in America. The whole boom-bust rebuild period, I, I loved it. Uh, so I'd probably do that. I would go back to those two periods in time. And I would actually like to go back from a cricketing point of view, back to when Statham was bowling and Truman was bowling and even go back to Bodyline and just sort of go, were they that quick? Were they, you know, were they that good? Were they, uh, you know, even don the whites again and bolt to WG Grace and see if he picks me in swinger. Is that sort of thing um, that, that that would interest me? The 70s America, I can imagine you in the in a white suit and a black oh, shirt and a button down to your navel. Oh yeah, that's that's me all over. But the, the cricket one, when you watch some of those old Pathé reels and you see Don Bradman standing there hitting the ball and. Yeah, W.G. Grace and, and a few of the others, greats of the of old times. Some of their shots, they look terrible. And you're thinking... Oh, awful. Yeah, if, if you're facing Jimmy Anderson or Jasper Brummer now, you'd, you'd be on toast. I would like to see Don Bradman face Joffre Archer, right? Cranking it up to 93, 94 miles an hour and, and winging it around his lug holes on pitches that are like roads, concrete, and, and the keeper stood 35 yards behind. I don't know if Don had averaged 99.6 <laughs> in this era of cricket. That's all I'm saying. Hi, my name is Brian Laura, and you're listening to the Cricket Batcher Podcast. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the Fonz, how cool would you say you are? Oh, well, it depends on the day. I'd say from, I'd be borderline, oh, it's difficult to say for yourself. Uh, I would say I'd be, uh, I'm not Richie Cunningham, but I'm not the Fonz. So I'm going to stick with a, a solid five. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? I would probably live in America. Yeah, I would live in America because I've just taken up skiing relatively recently, and I quite enjoy that. Um, so I could just nip up to, to Denver or Aspen or wherever and, and, and slide down some slopes in the wintertime, but still have the sunshine of, of California uh, or, um, or Florida or something like that. So I would probably live in America. Destination to be decided. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? My non-functioning left knee, my arthritic left knee, I would change that. I'm sure lots of people would change lots of other different things about me, but from a personal point of view, I've been in pain for about eight years, so uh, for relatively constant pain as well. And my hope is that very, very soon that might change with a, with a replacement. But yeah, actually, I would, I would change my left knee, and my, uh, that's, that's what I would do. Question number 19. We're nearly at the end. What will you be doing in 10 years' time? Same thing I'm doing now, I hope. And the final question, Daggers, and this is one that some people struggle with and some people just fly straight through, and it's a product of my warped imagination, but if you've been picking these questions, what would you have asked yourself to get a great and exclusive answer? Oh, goodness. What would I have asked myself? To be fair, I'm pretty upfront. I'm I'm quite private when it comes to, to family. 
um, and, you know, my, my home life. There is a sort of, and this sounds much grander than it actually is, so please excuse me, but when you're on the radio, when you're on the television, you are one person, and, and when you're speaking at gigs, you're that person. Uh, when I'm at home, I'm a completely different person. I, I actually like my own company. I'm, I'm quite, I, I don't mind a lot of solitary time. And obviously time with my daughter as well. But I am actually very, very, very private uh, in that respect. And, you know, the person that you that, that sometimes you see on, on social media and, and the like is not necessarily that person when when uh, in, in at home in Leicestershire. So and I'm not sure what the question would be. Uh, you know, am I two different people? Sometimes, yeah. And that is only through choice. And it's not that I'm a horrid person. I don't think I am anyway. Um, it's just that I, I am hugely private, and when when I'm not working, I really do switch off properly, properly switch off, and um, and, and and you know sometimes just love my own company, and uh, yeah, so that's that's maybe something that people don't necessarily know. Um, the, the, the one or two people do know. Um, my best friends and, and that sort of thing, but yeah, I do. I do like like a lot of sort of quiet time and reflective time, and and uh, uh, yeah, that's that's basically that. Although it doesn't really answer your question, but that's what I'm giving you. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's that sort of relatively famous picture of you, isn't there? When you're playing for Leicestershire in the T20 thing, you've got your cap to one side and your tongue sticking out, yeah. and that that's a, oh. an image that you maybe have publicly, but privately, that it maybe isn't you. Uh, yeah, I mean. Genuinely, I like bringing pleasure to people. I'm, that's what I do. But I'm, there is a, a sort of hot and cold balance to that. I want, when, I, when I'm, whether it would be playing cricket, I want to entertain people. I do. I love that aspect to it. But I think to do that, there needs to be quite a bit of, uh, of quiet time as well. And, you know, nothing pleases me more than, than people enjoying commentary or uh, enjoying a gig or, you know, anything like that or, or performing on that front. But it is a performance to a degree and I want them to do that. But, but I think to get the best out of myself and to do that, I need a lot of quiet time. I, I just stay sort of within myself, not, not, not antisocial in that I do like just to come home and flop on the sofa and stick my head in the TV for, for get stuck into a box set or whatever. But if I see something funny, I like to share it. So um, that's basically sort of my life. Well, it's a good answer and a good way to finish this podcast. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Mr. Dagmott, for joining me this week on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. A great addition, I think. Uh, you're actually not that new to the TMS box anymore, but I enjoy listening to you. And uh, it's been great to have you on the podcast this week. Absolute pleasure. It's been great fun. It's that Badger style. Thank you very much to Charlie for answering the Cricket Budget 20 questions this week. Let's hope he's commentating on some England victories and success over the next few weeks in the World Cup. Remember, you can join myself, Ollie and Akash on the Cricket Badger World Cup Weekly where we chat all things ICC Cricket World Cup 2019. Over the coming weeks on the Cricket Badger podcast, you'll hear from Jason Gillespie, Boyd Rankin, ahead of England taking on Ireland at Lords, and plenty more besides. To keep it the Cricket Badger podcast, thanks for all your support. Thank you to Cricket365 for their association with this podcast. Until we meet again, Badgers, enjoy your cricket. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.